Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Ladies and gentlemen, there's craziness sweeping the land, the so-called enlightened left forcing their bizarre ideas down our throats. Some might call it a tsunami of wokeness. There's a tsunami of wokeness. Everything woke turns to sh. a tsunami of wokeness we can start first of all with california's jefferson elementary school district first district in the united states who implement ethnic studies courses in all of their elementary and middle schools the new curriculum includes teaching children to become left-wing co-conspirators the presentation explains that the curriculum is designed to, quote, eliminate racism and other forms of oppression by creating, learning, listening, uncovering, and sharing of the his and her stories. Oh, boy. Experiences, current conditions of those, blah, 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 if you systemic hear, racism, blah, blah, blah. If you hear or see the term herstory at your school, you got to get your kid out of there. The second unit condemns America as institutionally racist and teaches children that white supremacy is entrenched in American systems such as education. The unit also indicts white people as the benefits of beneficiaries of racism, claiming that they use the system of white supremacy to maintain their wealth, power, and privilege. Again, this is elementary school and middle school. Where did you say this is happening? 
Uh, California, of course. Cal Unicordia, Daly City, California. Oh, boy, Bay Area. And so, uh, like we were just talking about a little ago, hey, hey, can you teach, like, some basic economics, some basic health, a few things that would, uh, would, would give you, a, you know, a little head start as you head out the door? Nah, institutional racism is a better thing to teach. That, that'll really help you in your job. And the final unit teaches children how they can, and I quote, pursue true liberation through an understanding of solidarity, liberation, collective action, intersectionality, and dismantling systemic oppression. Children, little children, are also taught that, quote, to achieve true liberation, we must actively and collectively work together to dismantle various systems of oppression. Institutional racism, white supremacy, etc. It's a tsunami of wokeness, folks. I don't. Do, I don't remember. Do we play that? Okay, that's it's too a, long. All right, here a, we go. It's a tsunami. There's a tsunami of wokeness. Meanwhile, Portland, Oregon, Beaverton parents expressed frustration at Tuesday's virtual school board meeting about a new genders and sexualities alliance club at Raleigh Hills Elementary for fourth and fifth grade students. They have a, a club rallying with transgender kids and up with all sorts of gender-bending madness uh, for the fourth and fifth graders. Some st- parents said, I don't think this is an appropriate age for this sort of thing. And uh, district officials, uh, oh, I'm sorry, a parent shot back, if students came forward and asked to start a video game club or a chess club, would they be upset if they didn't get parental consent? I think it's that they're maybe homophobic, transphobic, queerphobic. I don't know what it is, but I do have to question the morality and logic, said a thoroughly woke parent. Moving along, because there's so much. We mentioned um, a couple of days ago about this young journalist, Tara Henley, who is resigning from the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. Uh, and she said, as we mentioned, I used to. it used to be that I was the one furthest to the left in any newsroom. I am now easily the most conservative, frequently sparking tensions by questioning identity politics. This happened in a span of about 18 months. My own politics did not change. To work at the CBC in the current climate is to embrace cognitive dissonance and to abandon journalistic integrity. It is to sign on enthusiastically to a radical political agenda that originates on Ivy League campuses in the United States and spread through American social media platforms to monetize outrage and stoke societal divisions. It is is to pretend that the woke worldview is near universal. Even if it is far from popular with those you know and speak to and interview and read. To work at the CBC now is to accept the idea that race is the most significant thing about the person, about any person, and that some races are more relevant to the public conversation than others. Listen to what's happening in the CBC. It is in my newsroom to fill out racial profile forms for every guest you book and speak to, to actively book more people of some races and less of others. Wow. To work at the CBC is to submit to job interviews that are not about qualifications or experience, but instead demand the parroting of orthodoxies, the demonstration of fealty to dogma. It is to become less adversarial to government and corporations and more hostile to ordinary people with ideas that Twitter doesn't like. I want to talk about the term conservative later when we're done with this. I heard an interesting podcast about that the other day. Yeah, and she goes on, this is so good, I'll hit, uh, uh, well, yeah, I tell you what, she's on a roll. 
Ah, so again, it's about ganging up on normal people on Twitter. It is to endlessly document microaggressions, but pay little attention to evictions. Um, to spotlight companies' political platitudes, but have little interest in wages or working conditions. It's to allow sweeping societal changes like lockdowns, vaccine mandates, and school closures to roll out with little debate. Uh, bah, bah, bah. It is to consent to the idea that a growing list of subjects are off the table, that dialogue itself can be harmful, that the big issues of our time are already settled. It is to capitulate to certainty, to shut down critical thinking, to stamp out curiosity, to keep one's mouth shut, to not ask questions, to knock or to not rock the boat. How could good journalism possibly be done under such conditions? How could any of this possibly be healthy for society? You know, I've read enough of her work to know we disagree on a lot of stuff, but you, uh, salute, my darling, for your, your courage and your eloquence. What a great... Great little editorial. So is Canada just off the rails, or is that where we're headed? That's what I wonder. I would say that the forces of uh, the tsunami of wokeness absolutely hope we are headed toward Canada and the U.K., for that matter, and other places. That's what they're trying to do as hard as they can. And then uh, a little more tsunami of wokeness stuff. A couple of law enforcement stories that I find really curious and illustrate what we were talking about earlier, the whole crazy doctrine of disparate impact. If something is unequal, it's proof of racism. The Seattle Police Department announced at the end of last week of sweeping new policies as to how officers initiate most traffic stops. And indeed, they're going to eliminate most traffic stops because in the name of equity, because it seems like more people of uh, color get pulled over. The following violations will no longer be reasons for an officer to legitimately stop a car. Expired or missing vehicle registration. Or the uh, the it's expired. Uh, issues with license plates, no plate, that sort of thing. Technical violations, um, etc. So expired registration, they can no longer pull you over. Okay. And then finally this, and this is really interesting because it's, it's uh, from ProPublica.org, which is a way left uh, publication. The headline is, Chicago's race-neutral traffic cameras ticket black and Latino drivers the most. When you left it up to the coppers to pull people over where there were the most traffic problems, turned out to be more black people getting pulled over by white people. And so Woke Woke Chicago said, okay, uh, let's go ahead and do it with cameras more. Speed cameras, red light cameras, that sort of thing. Uh oh. But, but those are ticketing black people more than white people, said... Ola Tunji Oboy Reed, a longtime activist for racial equity and transportation in Chicago. We felt the brunt of it in a way white people didn't. Uh, racist fortune- cameras? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Racist computers? Racist robots? I- exactly. And they write similar racial and income disparities in camera ticketing have been documented elsewhere. They mention Rochester, New York, Miami, Florida, Washington, D.C. Turns out more people black people run red lights i guess but because of the disparate number or proportion of people who get ticketed it's proof that the cameras are racist they have to be eliminated uh could have fit a in. tsunami of wokeness there's a tsunami of wokeness there's a tsunami of wokeness armstrong and getty 
Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. But resist, we must. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I uh, found this out driving through Oregon for the first time in my life many, many years ago. Stopped to get gas, and some guy uh, got out to gas up my car, and some guy came running at me, waving his arms, and I was scared to death. I didn't know what. The, I didn't know if I was about to be robbed, or if the place was about to explode, or what the hell it was. No, it was just it's against the law to pump your own gas in Oregon, <laughs> and I was shocked to find that out. I know. I remember both of us just ranting and raving about that at length. It's so ridiculous. So this story from Reason Magazine, it's about that, but it's about more than that. I think it's about human nature, and it's really pretty interesting. Uh, every year this kind of becomes a debate in Oregon, and I'm sure uh, um, if you're if you're, you're an Oregonian, you're, you're tired of hearing this, but it's kind of interesting for everybody else, I hope. Um Earlier this week, a bipartisan group of state lawmakers introduced legislation that would permit customers to operate pumps all by themselves. Providing gas stations still maintained a number of full-service pumps manned by an employee. So they're not going all the way. They're not going all the way to to Crazyville, where you just got unmanned pumps. Oregon and New Jersey, the only states in the United States, if you didn't know that, that require gas stations to have full-service pumps. It's a feature of the state that many Oregonians find both convenient and character-defining. There are quirks of your state that you kind of hang on to just because that's what we are. It's what we do. Sure, and if they're reasonably harmless, who cares? Their attachment to the status quo has successfully prevented all but the most marginal reforms to the Beaver State's full-service mandate. A pair of bills in 2015 and 2017 legalized self-service pumps in counties of 40,000 or fewer people. Because drivers would occasionally end up stranded at rural gas stations that weren't open 24 hours. You couldn't justify being open all night long with an attendant there because you had one customer every other day. So they weren't open. And then, you know, because we've gotten in the habit. I grew up where I grew up in a little town in the middle of nowhere. There was no place to get gas at night. I think they closed at like 8 o'clock at night. But if you're in the habit, you just planned ahead. I mean, it it wasn't a big deal. I don't remember anybody ever being stranded. You just... Well, I better get gas. They close in 10 minutes. You know, that Uh sort of thing. But if you're not used to that, like anywhere else in the United States, and then you're some small, unpopulated county in Oregon, you find out, what, the gas stations are closed? They're all closed? What the hell? So they allowed a a get-around on that. Okay, fine. Um, But some Oregonians say the status quo is safer and easier for themselves. Safer. Oh, you can hardly concentrate in Oregon with all the sounds of the explosions from California echoing across the border as people, you know, immolate themselves. And fairer for gas station employees whose jobs could be at risk if pump deregulation passes. That is such terrible reasoning. I know you have words on that. I'll let you go ahead. Well, I'm reading from Reason.com, so I imagine they're going to get to some of the reason. If it's not reasonable reasoning, they've got to change their names. When the Oregonian, the big newspaper, asked its Facebook followers, would you pump your own gas if you could? The reaction from many commenters was swift and negative. No, I don't want to, nor do I want to see people lose their job, was common. This law is heartless in being pushed by greedy firms that want to fire people and make more cash off you. So a lot of it was the economic angle. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate having someone who is employed and knows what they're doing do it for me. (laughs) If you've never done it in your life, I could see how you'd think maybe it was complicated. Well, yeah, when my kids got their driver's licenses, I taught them how to do it. It took about a minute. Eh, 
minutes. For instance, I'm trying to use my new fabulous Epson printer the other night. I say that because somebody sent it to me for free. It is the best printer I've ever had. But I'd never used the scan function or anything like that. I'm sure most of you listening can do that in two seconds because you know how to do it and have done. But I didn't know how. I had to get out an instruction book and get a YouTube video. I I couldn't. I did never done it before. If you've never pumped gas before, you lift this and press it. What? what and, yeah, so I get that. A minute. <laughs> well, I'm kind of picturing like you're 68 and a mom, and just like I don't want to learn how to do this too freaking bad well i i'm not advocating <laughs> keeping the policy i can just see how you might react to the, oh great a new thing yeah but, but that whole that's the thing with nanny states they infantilize their citizens that's what i'm wanting to get to on this whole discussion okay. the perennial debate over self-service gas pumps in oregon is a useful illustration of just how powerful people's preference for a restrictive ridiculous status quo over an innoxious bit of additional freedom can be That is to say, every jurisdiction in the United States imposes some unnecessary, irrational, or onerous restriction on freedom that its neighbors manage to do without. Whether it's a ban on unlicensed barbers, or a requirement that restaurant patrons show proof of vaccination to eat inside, or thinking back to various places I live, you can't buy wine and booze at the grocery store, only at a liquor store, or bars aren't open on Sundays, or whatever it is. Oregon reformers' uphill battle to legalize self-service pumps gives people everywhere a chance to reflect on what petty or senseless regulations they, too, might be clinging to. Should that bill pass, the nanny stater inside each of us would have one opportunity for introspection. Yeah, so all those things I just mentioned, and a whole bunch more, I probably, if you think about them, that you could live without. And you could get reactions from people, I don't know, unlicensed barbers, we've been doing fine with licensed barbers. It just sounds like it's going to be the Wild West around here if we're not licensing barbers. Or if we start selling beer on Sundays, I don't know what's going to (laughs) happen. I'll tell you what's going to happen, nothing. Boy, and the jobs argument is so noxious because it's straight out of Marxism. It's straight out of the socialist playbook. I mean, I could bore you to death. I could give you 500 examples. It's ironic that self-serve checkout at grocery stores is becoming more and more common. I mean, that's obviously an example of how dare you eliminate the gas jockey position. I just uh, bought a golf club the other day. I grabbed it right off the rack myself. There should be somebody who hands that to me. <laughs> hands me the golf club. Well, and because you can't eliminate that job. I mean, think of, think of everything you do commercially during the day that you do it yourself. You walk it yourself. You carry it yourself. Whatever. You carry it out to your car yourself. You could so easily make the argument, oh, there should be a person doing that because they deserve a job. Right. God, right. that's so obnoxious. And, and, and I just think the human nature tendency of it's been this way, better not. That's that seems to be human nature. If we start allowing whiskey to be sold at the ga- at the grocery store, which you can't in tons of states, um, who knows what'll happen? Well, nothing, because I've lived in plenty of states where you can buy whiskey at the grocery store. I'll tell nothing you what'll happens. freaking happen. I'll go next door to the liquor store and buy it. Right. What have, what have you done? You've made <laughs> me take out my credit card twice. Way to preserve the public morals. Armstrong and Getty. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. 
comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, from the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center, Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. Uh, Armstrong and Getty. These are bad guys. That is especially true. So bizarre and so grotesque. Yup. Okay. Whoa. I was unnecessarily frank, but how can this show be on one hand sometimes so highbrow, yet be what it is the rest of the time? Come on! The Armstrong and Getty Show. Americans are at a 30-year low for sex. And again, no judgment. Whatever doesn't float your boat. I'm not going to kink shame the jigsaw puzzle, breathe right strip, lights out by 9 p.m. lifestyle. Because Americans are truly over the hump. In fact... 26% of American adults didn't have sex once over the past year, according to the 2021 General Social Survey. Though the poll does have a margin of error of plus or minus a stranger is calling me with questions about what I do with my junk. <laughs> the survey found that the number of married couples who had sex less than once a month doubled between 1989 and today, leading researchers to conclude the 1980s really were better for sex. Well, of course they were honor of Valentine's Day, Taco Bell has announced it will give out a free flaming Hot Cool Ranch Doritos Locos Taco. It's tasty. It's tasty. Ed, that could, be, that could be the beginning of a great love story. Oh, how did we meet? Well, we locked eyes in line for the same single stall bathroom. It's, 
And it has wow. been a Baja blast ever since. How long does since. this go? This is like nine minutes long. <laughs> um, yeah, we got more on the sex study in just a little bit. I think it's really interesting. Also, thousands of baptisms have been invalidated by the church because the priest changed one word. Was it, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and Satan? Oh, jeez, got that I, word really wrong. I baptize a Rooney, you, a Mundo, or none of the above. Stay with us. So there may or may not be breaking news on the whole Ukraine-Russia thing. We'll get to that in a little bit. If I thought it was really a big deal, obviously we would do it right now. Uh, we talked about this sex survey. when It comes out every two years for some reason, um, this group that does it. This is a serious study, by the way. This is not... Uh, we have fallen for this. Some shows do it on purpose, but one out of the three couples, blah, 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 in bed. And then it's, you know. Uh, Brought to you by Trojan condoms. Right, exactly. Yeah. Perfect example right there. Thank you. Um, but I remember when we did this story several years ago and the, the growing number of people that uh, were not having sex at all or having very little sex. And I think it's damned interesting about the human beast. Uh, I. Too many people get into, like, I don't know, sex commentary or jokes or a variety of things or start talking about the cost of housing. or I, I, The beast <laughs> the beast has stopped coupling. Yes. Why aren't more people raising their hand and saying, this seems like a pretty big story? As I've said many times, if this were uh, dolphins or antelopes or, or you know, some other d- d- beast of the field, ostriches, people would be going crazy. Biologists would be, uh, you know, pronouncing that it was a disaster and clearly a sign of something. We are at a 30-year low for sex. They've been doing this study for 30 years, and it's just been going down, 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 year after year. Now, uh, some people would throw in as a caveat, well, we had the pandemic, so that, yeah, well, these these numbers are, if you look at a graph, they're right in keeping with where it would be normally. I mean, it's good. Interesting. You know. Mm. Uh, 26% of Americans 18 and up didn't have sex once over the last 12 months. That's the uh, highest number since the uh, 30 years that they've been doing this. Um, The two years with the next highest percentage of adults saying they didn't have sex once in the past year were 2016 and 2018, pointing to the fact that that's just, you know, on the continuing graph of the direction it's going. Um, Last year's survey was also the first time that the percentage of Americans had who had sex once a month or less topped 50%. Over 50% of Americans having sex once a month or less. In 19... We are not a sexy country. We used to be the sexiest country. In 1989, that was one out of three. Now it's half. That's a pretty wow. big change. And, wow. uh, you know, they weren't doing the study before that, but it's possible to believe that it's, you know, was higher than 50% 30 years ago. You know, while it is great fun to make jokes about the sure. uh, the act, and uh, perhaps you've heard some throughout your life, uh, it's also uh, it's uh, you have to strip away, no pun intended, the, the 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 stupid jokes for a moment and talk about a basic biological function of a, a biological being, and it's been altered that much in that short a time. Again, if it was antelopes, uh, it would be discussed in the highest halls of government. Yeah, absolutely. Honeybees, anything. Um, there's also been a higher increase in unmarried men living alone. It's gone up 10 points. Um, 
And they get into the percentage of people that are living with their parents and say, does that have anything to do with the amount of sex people are having? Well, you know, they're obviously they're, uh, the <laughs> doesn't like, help. It doesn't help. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to use way too many words to say it doesn't help. <laughs> but I think the fact that people are willing to forego sex to live with their parents is part of the whole thing. It's like, huh. it's not that important to me. I mean, you know, you balance it. I mean, this was unheard of when I was. 22. Yeah, you know, you're going to balance it. Uh, do I get to have relationships and sex or live with my parents? Well, I'll be able to save more money. So the heck with oh, relationships with sex. What? Said Wait. no one when <laughs> I was 22. I'd have lived on the median of an interstate highway <laughs> if that's what it took. <laughs> right. Uh, the past year, 30% of adults ages 25 to 54 indicated that they did not have a steady partner, a third. In 1986, that number was 20%, one out of five. So it's gone from one out of five to roughly one out of three. In fact, the percentage of 25 to 54-year-olds who said they didn't have a steady partner partner never topped 23% prior to the 2010s, but it's been higher than 30% ever since. Wow. I I have told this story many times, and it's still confusing to me. So we moved to California in, uh, Joe and I moved to California because we are uh, a a traveling act. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we got run out of several towns. Um, Because things, things, trends tend to start on the coasts and then work toward the middle of the country. Just seems to be the way things work um, and have for a very long time. For instance, the Beach Boys were surfing in the 60s, and then it took until the 80s before they were doing a lot of surfing in Oklahoma. That's a good point. Um, But I grew up in a time and a place in the Midwest where, and I was uh, lived there through my 20s, and uh, everybody was in a relationship or trying to get into a relationship without exception. Never knew one person, friend, or like kind of a, you know, in our group in any way, I never knew anybody who was just like, just didn't have a boyfriend or girlfriend for a year. I mean, just never. Not one in my life. Unless, you know, they, they wouldn't or couldn't for various, you know, reasons. But they were definitely outliers. Um, the move to California in the uh, late 90s. And I was shocked that so many of the people we worked with, young people, like everybody that we worked with, was not attached to anybody. They didn't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And they didn't seem to be interested in finding one. And I was just blown away by that. I still am, actually, because that was not the case when I was younger. And I think that trend has moved from the California, or I don't know if it was true on the East Coast, toward the middle of the country. And it's becoming more common to just not be in a relationship. Mm-hmm. And whenever I bring that up to younger people, they always look at me like, well, you people were crazy, old man. Why would you want to be in a relationship? Well, I'm telling you, no, and we I have think... more stuff to do now. You didn't have anything to do back then. Yeah, yeah, you didn't. Yeah. You didn't. You, you weren't in a relationship because there wasn't enough to do. I had plenty to do. Yeah, and I'm telling you, it wasn't social pressure or expectations or it wasn't a financial decision. No, no, it's because I wanted it more than anything. It's always brought up as a financial. Well, the young people today, rent and housing and starter jobs. No, that's got nothing to do with it. You know how many broke people I was hanging around that were in relationships? Actually, being in a relationship is fantastic when you're broke. That might be the best time to be in a relationship. Um, Something is going on. There's yeah. something in our brains or our, our desires that has changed. Well, there are many, many experiments. Again, uh, you know, studying beasts, if you alter their 
environment severely enough, significantly enough, it will result in ch- a change in breeding behaviors. Generally, it's it's overcrowding or drugs. Um, I'm trying to think of other examples I've read through the years. Um, but it's it's almost never in response to everything being cool. I think it's partly Internet porn. Seriously. That, that, does, sure. that does come up in the study. That does come up in the study. The male end of the equation has to have been affected by the amount of pornography that's out there. Has to have been. And if the male end of the equation is not pursuing, I mean, jeez, you had it into a weekend. Every guy was on the hunt for whether it was, you know, immediate pleasurable satisfaction not thinking about family, or just trying to find a girlfriend. You know, you want to start a relationship. But maybe with porn now, people, men don't. I don't actually know that, but it certainly makes sense to me. Well, you know, if I was going to design a beast, uh, perhaps I'm the almighty in this scenario. And sometimes I've been accused of thinking I am, by the way. Um, On the first day, Joe created the heavens (laughs) and the earth. Second day, some really great golf courses. And he liked it. (laughs) And he was pleased. Oh, that reminds me, i got to get to that baptism story. So nutty. Anyway, oh, if I am the Almighty and I'm designing a beast and I'm thinking, let's see, let's see, how do we get them to not die out? Because that would take all the fun out of my creation. I will make the desire to couple overwhelmingly pleasurable, physically, emotionally, and, and I'll make it so that they will, and this is borne out by every study of lifespan and health and whatever, I'll even make it really good for them physically to have a partner. I'm going to design this beast so that every fiber of it seeks to have a partner. And they'll procreate, and, and, and you know, it's from a strictly biological sense, it's about sex. But as it turns out, we're created in such a way that coupling is incredibly good for us. Um and then uh, as somehow or other, that switch has been flipped off, which is disturbing. Yeah. And, and I, I think, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe it's a blip, uh, but uh, it doesn't feel like a blip. And whenever I hear these studies, nobody but us brings this up. I never hear anybody else uh, comment on this sort of stuff. They either do the economic angle or they make the sex jokes. But nobody comments on the fact that, hey, we've got an animal on the planet that has stopped coupling and having babies. I mean, this study on sex tracks exactly with the declining birth rate. Um, interestingly enough, it's young people, by the way. The old, the sex for the old people is held steady for 30 years. That's way to not go, Ulsters. It's, <laughs> it's the next generation that, for whatever reasons, environmental stuff in the water or something going on we don't understand, cell phone towers, I have no idea. Mark Zuckerberg. Something has caused people to stop coupling and, and, and having sex and having children. And why more people aren't interested in this is beyond me. I will say just purely from a lifestyle thing, as a guy who unfortunately is uh, is back into singledom, the fact that so much of the country has just decided, eh, I'm perfectly fine being alone, scares the crap out of me. Because I don't feel that way at all. But it scares the crap out of me that I, I know lots of people who have just said, no, I'm out. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just not interested. I think I figured it out. And I'll bet a lot of you are way ahead of me. It's the difference, or, or hmm, it's the preference for effortless pleasure versus pleasure that takes effort. And uh, maybe the Almighty never anticipated, yeah, I know, that's blasphemous, um, the idea of effortless pleasure. 
being surrounded by websites and games and porn so you can and get, drugs and alcohol. So, and your, so your theory is you can get so many little jolts of varying degrees of pleasure mm-hmm. that it allows you to forego the biggest desire for pleasure that, that there is. Sure. Could be. If you can effortlessly go to Reno anytime, why would you go to Vegas ever? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That might that might be a good example. I, maybe you're right. I, I, I mean, like Reno. I love Reno. Combination of so much entertainment and porn and all the different things that it doesn't. It's not as good as in, individually. None of them even come close to compare comparing to love, marriage, children, sex. But all of them added together get you far enough that at least on this Friday night you're not interested in going out and trying to seek that. And they're all virtually. Effortless, and they're effortless. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You can't can't leave that out. That's the important part of your equation. That's really interesting. Armstrong and Getty. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end and many many more join me on season three of mini questions on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts seven questions limitless answers if you love sports and true crime then there's a new podcast from executive producer dan patrick and hosted by me jay harris that you won't want to miss playing dirty sports scandals Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jack Armstrong 
and Joe Getty. Point of personal privilege. Don't get brazen with me. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I recently started counting my steps that I take every single day. Well, I, I don't count them myself. I, I do. I have a pen and paper, and I count them as I, like, if I go get coffee, one, two, three, four, five, and then I write them down at the end. Then I turn around and come back, one, two, three, four, I write it down again. Uh, my Apple Watch keeps track of me, track of it for me, and I haven't, I haven't known how many steps I ought to be. What, are, what should my goal be? And um, a whole bunch of different places I came across are people saying 10,000, and I thought, eh, it just seems like a heck of a coincidence to me that it's the round <laughs> number. You came sure. up with 10,000. <laughs> yeah. But and, people are into it. They get excited. And it's really not easy to get 10,000 steps in in a day. Well, anyway, there's a new study out that mortality risk is reduced by 50%. More t- the risk of dying is really one of my top risks I want to eliminate. Absolutely. Ranks right. way up there. Mortality risk reduced by 50% for older adults who increased their daily steps from around 3,000 to around 7,000. They're calling 7,000 the magic number. Actually, the report in The Lancet, which is one of your top medical journals in the entire world, said 7,000 is the new 10,000. I think 10,000 was a number based on nothing. But they've now looked into it as so many people now have Apple Watches and Fitbits and all that sort of stuff for the first time ever. People are actually counting their steps on a regular basis. 7,000 is really the number, which is... Uh, it sounds about right to me. If I have a busy day, I can get close to 7,000 and throw in a few more at the end of the day and get there. 10,000 is pretty hard to get to. In yeah, 7,000 is a day you've been pretty physically active. Yeah. and You've there. moved a lot. If you're younger, the benefits of daily walking actually level off around 9,000 9, steps. Um, so get to 9,000 and you're probably good if you're younger. If you're older, 7,000 is plenty. But... Uh, mortality risk reduced 50%. Now, that's from people that are getting 3,000 or less. Um, You'd have to be relatively sedentary based on looking at my Apple Watch because just walking around at work, I get home in the middle of the day and I'm at 3,000 steps. And that's just from, you know, walking down the hall to get coffee and get something off the copier. So you ain't moving much. Now, does it say if I, like, walk to the Dairy Queen and get a a big ice cream sundae and then walk to the liquor store and get some Jim Beam? That's plenty of steps. The Lancet, which, again, is a serious publication, said walking benefits nearly every cell in the body. It's wildly effective as an exercise. Walking strengthens your heart, improves bone density, relaxes your mind, helps with muscle building throughout your body, and pain management. So, there you go. My parents, who are very healthy for their age, um, they've been big walkers, geez, as far back as I can remember. From, geez, when we, 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 like, junior high, high school, we'd eat dinner and go out and do the two-mile walk after dinner every night. Sometimes we'd go with them, sometimes we wouldn't, as lazy, you know, teenagers. (laughs) But they always went. Rain or shine, always have. Wow, that's great. That's fantastic. Hanson, get a treadmill in here. I'm going to start doing the show while walking on a treadmill. And be good for me. Hmm. Do you count your steps? I, I hope it won't be too loud or anything. Yeah, my my uh, my iPhone does. Oh, whether I want to or not, I don't always have it in my pocket, but I have it in my pocket enough that it's pretty accurate. Yeah, I don't know. To each their own. Maybe it would help you. Taking a look at it uh, every day helps me realize. Okay, I haven't done that much today. Maybe I'll you know maybe I'll take the dog for a longer walk or whatever and get a little closer to those steps. Reducing reducing mortality is the uh, the goal. 
Yeah, that's right at the top of the list. Let me. I'm trying to figure out how do I figure out uh, yesterday. Ah, that's too much garbage. No, I don't want to buy that app. Uh, steps. Let's see. Yesterday, apparently, I was completely immobile yesterday. <laughs> or am I reading this wrong? I think I may be reading it wrong. Oh no! Yesterday, I was uh, six thousand steps. Yeah, good yeah, luck. That's with, not enough. Good luck with your mortality, dude. Oh, please, I'm as good as dead. That's shocking. Oh, where? The week. There you go. Okay. Yeah, let's see. Oh, please. I walked like a mother scratcher yesterday. 6,838. Nope, still not. Uh, oh, my God. 162 steps short of preventing mortality hmm. yesterday. So I'm lucky to, I didn't die. So close to not dying. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 